Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Nolan Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsuk, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, as our listeners can likely tell from the change in audio quality, we are recording, in, and I'm on the road recording in my car yet again, because once again, I have a gig. Uh, apologies for the sound quality, and thank you, Noel, for the uh, accommodations you always make when I'm out of town. Well, I mean, we make accommodations when I'm out of town, too, so, though I normally travel with a microphone and my computer and everything else, so. I get so many, like, strange looks as I sit in my car with a, <laughs> with a, just a microphone talking to myself and gesticulating wildly, as I'm sure no one will be surprised to hear that I do. Um, it's always, it's always a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but we're gonna, because of that, we're gonna try to keep things on the shorter side this week, guys. Uh, we'll see... How that goes. How, how successful do you think we're going to be at that, Noel? I, I'm aiming for us to being really successful about it because I want to make sure that you have enough time. That's Oh, that's so sweet. And I, my yeah. fingers would like more practice time. So we'll see how this goes. Yeah. Um, this week at the end of the podcast, we are talking Outlander. We're, gonna, we're spotlighting the episode A, Malcolm, which is the reunion episode of Jamie and Claire. For those who don't follow Outlander, uh, if you know, we, we also talk about uh, romance as a genre and romance on TV and some other, you know, more larger like topic issues. But it was a lot of fun to, to kind of check in on that show and certainly... You know, as someone who's followed it, talking with someone, you know, yourself, Noel, who has not been following it, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's 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 a really good conversation, and it went um went longer than I think either of us anticipated it go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it had been a regular length episode of Outlander, it might have been a similar, like almost as long as an episode, but it was extra long. So we did, we were in no danger of of talking for like an hour and twenty minutes about one episode of Outlander. But um, we only do that for Hannibal, guys. We only do that for Hannibal. Uh, I'm delaying here. I don't know if you guys can tell because I don't really want to go to our first uh, top of show topic, and that's because it's very sad. But uh, this week, uh, Robert Guillaume passed away. Uh, what a terrific actor and such a, a wonderful presence on TV. You know, obviously, people will know him from Benson and, and that kind of thing, but uh, many, like he's been on uh, like a staple on TV for like decades. But for me, I always think of him as, as Isaac Jaffe on Sports Night. And certainly with all the various conversations in the past, you know, several months around Confederate statues and things, I've had that speech that he gives from sports night about the confederate flag like it's come up in my memory quite a bit recently and it was you know very sad to see that he had passed this week yeah i i had the same sort of response like i mean i'm familiar with him from both benson and soap and also like sports night but also like i mean I mean, we all watched The Lion King, and he voiced Rafiki, mm -hmm. and so it was one of those things where this was sort of a uh, kind of a touchstone actor in a lot of ways for a number of a uh, number of properties that I watched like as a young person, and then as someone more conscious of like television history and that kind of a thing when I caught up on these, um, uh, caught up on Soap and Benson, 
So I, it was a big deal, but he's, he was always such an effortless actor. And so his departure even is going to be missed. And he was effortless, even like following his stroke that he had, um, in, uh, 1999, I think mm-hmm. that he just, he came back just really without losing a, a beat in a lot of ways. And he just, it was it never it never really affected how he performed it slurred words a little bit or like just like facial responses but you could always see him and feel his presence um on the screen regardless of it and he it was just really it was he was just a really solid and graceful performer yeah, and it was so smart for them to to write that in to Sports Night to give his character an off-screen stroke and then that allowed them to, you know, address that and for I'm I, you know, I don't know what that experience is like as an actor. I would imagine it would be something you would be grateful to get to play cuz all the, all the emotions that come with that, all you know, the the struggles and the frustrations and I mean that's that's meaty stuff to dig into as an actor. I you know, I imagine that's something they wouldn't have done if he wasn't, you know, comfortable with that being you know on the show i don't imagine they would have written that in if you didn't want them to but it gave him so much to play and you know certainly uh he just for me i i always think of warmth with him there's Mm -hmm. always like a little bit he's a little unpredictable he's like it's not like necessarily the most safe or predictable warmth but you always know that heart is there in his performances and that's part of what makes him such a such a terrific actor but especially he's such a great tv presence um and that, for me that's part of what separates uh tv stars and tv actors who like resonate with audiences again and again and again in different roles is that core of humanity um if they can find that if they can transmit that through the tv then then that's somebody who's you know hopefully gonna not have a hard time um finding the next project and that's certainly something that i always think of for him yeah and i think warmth is also a really good way uh to describe a lot of what he did and yeah so sorely missed sorely missed yeah indeed um not sorely missed is mark halperin who's out at nbc and msnbc he's a reporter and journalist uh who has had a, a load of sexual assault and or sexual harassment allegations against him in the past like week or so so the the hashtag me too train keep is keep continuing to roll and i've certainly uh, been very glad to see that uh just keep it like keep it coming uh people who are who are, who are able and to to speak out against their harassers uh cuz i'm very very heartened to see the immediate response uh for for several of these uh figures and certainly with Halperin, the the conversation that's been going around around the topic of like sexual harassers in who are prominent in journalism then covering gender issues and covering um like in his case politics and the like this has cast a new light on some of his coverage of of various specifically female politicians um women in politics who he has a history of not necessarily uh reporting in the most uh how shall i put this uh in the most 
neutral, I guess, terms, the, like, you know, threads of, of misogyny and, and sexism in his reporting that maybe didn't get called out as much are now being looked at with closer scrutiny. And that's something that I've really appreciated uh, being a topic of conversation around his uh, suspension. Yeah, I I didn't know much about Halpern and if you, before like I don't even know if I can tell you like I remember watching this segment with him and I can't do that at all in any way shape or form like he is a sort of a non-entity in my brain but your point about the social media campaign and how between everything with Weinstein that this is just sort of continuing to spin forward as we discussed also last week that there's there's more to find there's more to discuss and analyze within the media environment with this particular media environment about power dynamics and gender and how all of this gets bottled up um and shaken together in not the best way sometimes and mm-hmm. that yeah yeah i don't have sorry i don't have anything else to add (laughs) no no that's okay um and i know there were also several other like what's going on with bill o'reilly is he like because there was a leaked thing about the the covering up and the payouts that fox was doing for him is that mean he is is this in the past or is he coming back no, I think this is in the past. Um, he okay. gave like a radio interview and then some other stuff I think got leaked. I'm not super, super clear on that. Most mm-hmm. of what I saw um, was like from a couple of like late night clips about it. But that was that was the extent of what I saw. I don't think that there's anything new. I think just stuff's being circulated again. Yeah. And there's also um, a piece from Selma Blair uh, with in- interviews with Selma Blair and Rachel McAdams talking about being harassed um, and assaulted by James Toback, who's a director uh, who, you know, I w- had more clout in like the 90s um, and uh, like supporting other women who had come out and said that he had uh, harassed and assaulted them. And then he denied it, which prompted them to come forward. Um, and so there have been several others. Uh, I thought we should also mention um, around this topic. Um, interesting, of course, that with, as the with the Weinstein stuff, uh, of course, he stayed completely mum until Lupita Nyong'o came forward. And then he took time out of his um, therapy. Sure, that's what he's doing to re- to specifically refute her. But only her so the, the only person he's he's specifically refuted is the woman of color who spoke out against him just highlighting all the ways that this this like misogyny and sexism and, and harassment and power dynamic is also tied in with racial uh d- dynamics and and disparities of power in the industry as well um yeah i and Anytime I see people wondering um, out loud why there aren't more women of color coming forward with this stuff, it's like, well, you know, how about instead of if you're wondering why, maybe just make sure that that is a from a curious point of view and not an accusatory point of view, because look what (laughs) happened. Like Weinstein takes specific time out of his day to actively refute like this super prominent uh, Oscar winning actress of color Uh, imagine what's gonna you know the extra scrutiny and harassment towards less prominent figures so you know i just thought that that was a really interesting wrinkle in in the weinstein drama i guess 
You say wrinkle, I say racism. Oh, well, it is racism, obviously. Yeah. No. There's no there's no question there. It's obviously racism. Uh, but yeah, added dimension that, you know, with the, like, right now the women's convention is going on in Detroit. Um, and so there's been, at least in, in my timeline, which will surprise very few, that a lot of <laughs> that kind of stuff gets retweeted in my timeline. But the, a lot of conversation around, um, around, harassment the continuing you know outing of more predators um but yeah every now and again things driven by why is it so driven by white women is like because they have more power guys because they feel more able to come forward and nobody owes you coming forward anyways yeah absolutely yeah um the last thing we want to mention here at the top of the show is a change in fcc regulations um you know, there's been plenty of other fun changes in regulations this week, but let's talk about, let's keep it to the TV-centered things. What is this uh, change that has happened, Noel? Right, so this is a change that's up for discussion um, that'll most likely be approved um, come November. Uh, what it is is that the FCC is looking to loosen uh, rules regarding um, media groups or companies that can own... Um, both newspapers and broadcast affiliates uh, within a particular market area. Currently, they're not allowed to do that because this is to prevent one company from dominating or uh, two or three companies from dominating basically the entire media marketplace within a particular area. So the, the, the idea is that there's a diversity of opinions reflected in both broadcast media, like television, like radio stations, and also print newspapers. And it also allows for accountability um, also amongst these groups. So the newspaper can keep a radio station or a, a, um, a television's broadcaster accountable for their actions because they're not owned by the same company. Um, which you would typically assume would not happen if all three or all two were owned by the same group by the same company. And this has been something that's sort of been contentious because the media landscape has been loosening and becoming more consolidated since, especially since the mid nineties during under the Clinton administration. And so this is seen as a way to continue to do that and um, allow these companies to quote unquote survive uh, a leaner media environment. So that's where it's been pushing from. But the the sort of the editorializing I was doing about keeping things accountable, uh, having a diversity of opinions is something that's definitely um, at risk of being lost um, should these rules be uh, rolled back. Um, and the other thing to remember is that a lot of this is also... I'm putting on my conspiracy theorist hat. A lot of this is also most likely motivated by the Sinclair Broadcasting Group pushing for this. Um, the Sinclair Broadcasting Group is a... if it, They were recently highlighted as well on Last Week Tonight um, a little while ago. Um, they just bought the Chicago Tribune. Right. They bought the Tribune Media Company. Yeah. Um, and but their merger hasn't been like completely gone through yet. their acquisition of Tribune Media hasn't completely gone through yet. And one of the things that this would allow them, uh, Sinclair, do is to not have to divest themselves of certain properties that they would have to maybe otherwise do to get that purchase approved by the government. 
So them owning WGN, for instance, as which is both a national but also a local um, station, that they wouldn't maybe necessarily have to give up that or some other type of media ownership to get control of something like the Chicago Tribune. Um, so there, it's been definitely something that. I would suspect that they were really pushing as a fairly conservative group that's been really aggressive in the media markets lately, that this is something that they've been really wanting. And now that they have the chance to do that with, um, uh, um, with, um, uh, Pi, who's the chairman of the FCC currently, um, that they can get these through. So yeah, that was my long stretch about um, something kind of really policy wonky, but that could, on a very local level for those in the United States, have um, sizable impacts on the the media that they are consume, but also the media that they're passingly consuming as well. I get so frustrated at the some of the talking points around issues like this, this the idea of we need more help so that we can survive in the current landscape. Um, when, when the, the, with, if you're going to believe that, if you're going to buy that argument, then the conversation you're having is between the public good of not having a monopoly over all your news and, and, and uh, like mass communications or this company surviving. And it seems to me like, even if you accept the argument that, this is what we need to be able to survive, then still that argument should lose against the American people or just the people need to not have a monopoly controlling who does all of their local news, all of their their newspapers and their TV news, and is in charge of, like, all the programming that goes out and all the, like, the anything syndicated or, you know, all these different, like, it's not even close, even if you buy their argument that they need more help it's just like it's so frustrating to me because i don't necessarily believe them when they say that oh we just got to have a monopoly but we won't call it a monopoly but that's what it's going to turn into um and yet even if you did accept that argument like i don't understand how anyone with like a, who's not just focused on getting paid <laughs> by sinclair accepts that argument is more important than the 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 national public good it's I get very frustrated, Noel. No, and you should be. And like those of you in the U.S. should be concerned about this. Um, yeah. And you should be uh, contacting the FCC um, uh, to voice your um, opposition to this um, if you can, because you should be. Yeah. And if you're not sure, if you're like, you know, want to be more informed about this, like, Again, go onto YouTube and seek out the Last Week Tonight segment they did on Sinclair Media Group, and then ask yourself if you want them in charge of, like, half the local papers in your town, as well as in charge of all the TV, like, local news at 10 or whatever. And if the answer is yes, then I'm I'm very, I'm very confused by by that response. If you're like, yeah, let's make the, the place that mandates specific points of view in the, the local anchors editorials. So let's make sure that they're also in charge of all the newspapers. So yeah, anyways. Okay, we should move on. We got a lot of TV to talk about. Uh, so any final thoughts on the FCC, sir? Or is it is it time to talk Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? It's time to talk about uh, fictional scripted television for the most part, except for with one, one, one exception. 
With one exception, yeah. So so we're going to take a break and listen to a little Craziest Girlfriend. Um, enjoy. I know I will as I listen along. Um, and we'll be right back with our Week in Comedy. I've got my head in the clouds Cause that's where heaven is No longer stuck in the muck on the ground I figured out how to live It's with my head in the clouds Got no cares anymore No obligations are holding me down That's what religion is for my son not anymore priest me That was I've Got My Head in the Clouds from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, sung by Vincent Rodriguez III. Um, and that was from this week's episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend to Josh with Love. We'll talk about that first and then move over to Jane the Virgin, Chapter 66. And then fresh off the boat, It's a Plastic Pumpkin, Lewis Long. Uh, Broad City Witches. And we'll round things out with The Good Place, Janet and Michael. And we'll probably also talk a bit about last week's trolley problem as well. Uh, but first up is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And Noel, last week you were talking about how... Yeah, the premiere is good, but like the second episode is amazing. Uh and I was I, I wasn't skeptical, but I was like, okay, well, the first episode was real good. So then what does that say about this next episode? And you did not oversell, sir. That I oh my god, it was such a good episode. The music was some of the best, like most consistent throughout the episode, you know, music of uh the three seasons, I would say. And uh like four songs one of them are reprise you know how i love my reprises and uh and then the rest of the episode around the music was also terrific so um yeah you st- you talk because i'm just gonna like keep like fawning over this so maybe you have something more specific to say other than it was so good well no it was so good and I- i'm really glad that you enjoyed it i knew you would but i i was very excited when um a number of folks got to watch it and everyone i just want you to know that i really pushed kate to go with the buzzing in the bathroom for our opening song and she said no um <laughs> because that was the best song in <laughs> this week's um but no the- i think that there's a lot of really good stuff in this episode apart from the songs which i think are uniformly great um a lot of that has to do with just the fact that the they're all united around sort of a Broadway big show sort of inspiration where you've got Head in the Clouds, which feels very Gene Kelly-esque with Rodriguez doing a lot of dancing. Um, it's always so great when they let him dance. And it's also really good when he's able to dance by himself and no one has to try to keep up with the choreography. <laughs> <laughs> they can get an actual dancer to be the Holy Ghost, you know? Yeah. Uh, but then, like, so we get that. We get the Les Mis-inspired um, uh, buzzing in the bathroom, which is basically just a shot-for-shot shot remake of Hooper's version of um, empty um, empty chairs and... Oh, empty, I forget the name of that song Empty chairs entirely. at empty tables. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's just delightful and amazing. 
And then we get this sort of like cabaret, cell block tango-esque sort of number of Rebecca trying to seduce Nathaniel into helping him, helping her destroy Josh Chan. And it's just, it's all, the the through line of the song styles, I think, really keeps the episode moving at a really good clip. But then everything around these plots is still really good. So this idea of like female pleasure and male obliviousness, obliviousness to those concepts or the idea that Nathaniel just goes so far overboard <laughs> with a plan that involves actual murder um, <laughs> to get what he thinks she wants him to do. And it's just, it's all really built up into a lot of really good things that come together really well because of the song choices in style, but also in subject. And it's just, it's a really strong episode for the show. And I was, I was so excited when other people got to watch it. Um, friend of the show, Allison Shoemaker actually DM'd me on Twitter and was just like, have you watched this yet? Cause I need to talk to someone about it. And I was just like, no, but give me like two hours and I will watch it. <laughs> and it's just very good. So I'm going to stop talking. Uh, you can talk a little bit. Um, how did you feel about South Pasadena's super secret uh, party scene of, this is just really sad? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was the, the um, like, the Eyes Wide Shuts, you know, ish, um, like, mask and everything, mask ball. Uh, like, that was a mask with a QE, everyone, uh, was delightful and super fun and the way that they just like undercut it here and there was hilarious i loved the outfit that he sends her <laughs> to wear and then we see her later and she's in this like amazing dress she's like wait why are you because that was like a 13 year old girl couldn't wear that it's like insane proportions no human woman actually is that size um that's why <laughs> and like the notion of any like of course, remember back to heavy boobs. The notion that that dainty thing would actually be supportive underwear, like a structural garment for for Rebecca Bunch or Rachel Blue, but like Rebecca in the show, uh, is just laughable. And once again, it's the show's balancing of these two tropes, like this this idea of the romance and heightened you know, like seduction of, of that, you know, thing called, you know, drawing from like romantic comedies and that, that idea of like the, the guy sending a dress to, for, or, or like some outfit for, for the person to wear and the power play of that. And then, but then immediately undercutting it with, no, that's not like, of, of course you don't know her proportions or have any realistic sense of, the size that women are uh and, and that was something that was just happening continuously through the episode but what was aside from just the fun of this episode and, and like the 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 way that they built and paced all the different threads i thought worked really really well uh the a b and c storylines were also you know really well matched um the what was so exciting for me about this episode to go back to the music is the way that each of the songs directly uh, addresses or, or responds to different modes of communication through song in musicals and so you have the um like the head in the clouds is this really light uh playful fun like just really clear and pretty song for uh for josh to sing but it's commenting on how 
like how in denial he is and how stupid he is and you know like and just this sunny optimism that is just completely driven by a willful ignorance which then is of course paired at the end of the of the episode with his revelation that nothing was his fault which we will i'm sure see uh like we'll see him work his way through how that is not true by you know x number of episodes from now so we have that approach we have the um the seduction which is like the the show, like the the lead drawing Nathaniel in drawing the audience in and and winning you over to their side through song in that way so the first one is commenting on and critiquing the main character while just being really catchy the second one is is pulling the audience into something they know they shouldn't support but the 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 singer is just so charismatic that you'll you'll go with it the third one is hilarious but it's also uh this this commentary on this guy is making his his wife's uh lack of sexual satisfaction in their marriage entirely about him and like it's his perspective like it makes sense it's not like that he's some some monster or whatever but like again this is all he can think about is how this affects him um throughout that song and that's absolutely hilarious while also being the the toby hoover hooper you know reference and then in the last one it's the absolutely committing to the musical theater as or the musical as something that instead of being like a step back commentary on our characters like something that distances you from them and and as you think about all those other things it's something that the moment is so intense they can't help but sing and they let out things that they normally would keep within like the the only way to express yourself is in song and uh and that forcing truth whether whereas the first and the third song the first song especially is like the exact opposite using music to distance and and reinforce a fantasy the last one is like tearing down the this cleverly constructed you know very meticulously constructed series of like this like basically reality that rebecca has has created um because she can't the music is too powerful she can't control the music she can't stop herself and so i just i loved the way that it just addressed like like responded to these different approaches to musical theater and these different types of like these different relationships with the the purpose for music in musical theater um yeah i've been talking a long time (laughs) do you have any thoughts on that (laughs) no it was all very good and like all very like super spot on um and i agree with all of it like it's just it was it was just a really deft and really well constructed episode that does all of this really well and you can tell and just see the amount of work that was put into making sure that this was a very well built house of cards um to to get to that end point to get to that scene sequence in the church and everything and it's just it's clear that they took a great deal of care to do this and it pays off really magnificently and yeah, it's just really good. And yeah, it's, it was just really good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I did find myself kind of wishing that the seduction song didn't have some of the obvious, like, uh, Rachel Bloom isms, like, like, you know, like those, those like punchlines for comedy, which felt that if they felt more Rachel than they felt Rebecca, um, and mm-hmm. they felt something like, like it's sort of the thing where it's like, yeah, you get the laugh in the moment, but the song would have been better if they hadn't undercut itself as frequently. Um, 
but then again, I'm watching it more from the perspective of someone who loves musicals than someone who's looking to laugh. I'm fine if they do a whole sequence and it's like just a straight up seduction number and they don't feel the need to undercut it, you know. Like, 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 with the last line, thing about, like, <laughs> the bikini, like, underwear being, like, upper butt or whatever, like, for me, it would have been more potent, more effective if, if they hadn't undercut it at the end, even though I do get what they're going for, of the ridiculousness of that and the sense of that's what's sexy. Um, but I don't know. I just, I kind of want, felt myself wanting, if that's going to be in there, cool but don't have that be the very last thing we go out on i don't know what did you think no i think i think that's a i think that's a good point um in that it it breaks a lot of especially the like that slightly more explicit um thing breaks it a little bit as opposed to sort of the wordplay of like let me choke on your cocksuredness or she couldn't she didn't tell me she didn't she couldn't tell me she didn't come to me to tell etc that all that wordplay works because it it makes it makes subtext explicit but while still getting past everything that still pays off and works in within the song itself and i think by calling attention to it i i think you're right it's a little writerly and a little like no no i i really wanted this last thing in and i just couldn't figure out a way to do it and um that it it sort of breaks it just a little bit but not enough for me anyway that it like bogs anything down or really hurts the production yeah um but it's just it's a it's a difficult needle to the thread that they maybe just didn't need the thread yeah well and again it's the idea that rebecca has a very distinct purpose in what she's doing here she wouldn't be undermining herself. She would be absolutely playing to Nathaniel's fantasies and manipulating him through that rather than saying anything that would undermine him. So that's why there are some of those some of those like little asides in the middle felt much more Rachel than Rebecca. I mean much more like like you said, writerly and not what not not how Rebecca would actually turn Nathaniel into putty. I love that I get to be this piggy because the show is so good. <laughs> I don't right. have no, larger that's, issues that's, to that's a good sign. Talk yeah. about anything else you want to mention about this episode other than like how terrific the whole Tim stuff is. No, no, not a whole lot of other stuff to mention. I think it's just an all around really strong episode for the show. And I just I loved the ending of that where we're like, he's so happy, yay, and Don just like doesn't have time for this. She's like, Yeah, I mean it's a horrible sign of the communication in your marriage that like for eleven years your wife didn't talk to you, but like Yes, obviously you should have been more aware, but she didn't talk to you, so that's just as much, if not more, on her than it is on you, and that's not a good sign for your 11-year marriage that your wife isn't talking to you about a very basic, straightforward part of of her, you know, like, her engaging in your relationship, Um, like, just, like, such a wonderful, hilarious way to, like, deflate the balloon at the very end with him. I'm hoping we see more with with them. I, would you like to meet the wife, or or just keep her behind the bathroom door? No, let's. I th- I think keeping her behind the bathroom door is appropriate for now. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, let's move on to the next episode. That's Jane the Virgin, chapter sixty six, and uh, we got more Adam. We got like just as I was saying last week. Okay, but now we need Raph and Petra 
set. They broke them up again, and I just don't. Uh, I get. I, I get what they're doing. They want him to cross the same line. He, he accuses her of crossing, which he does, and that's gonna. Ha- when, he's gonna come out the other side of that with new respect for Petra, and you know they'll be more on equal, balanced terms in their relationship when it reestablishes again, which seems pretty obvious it's going to. Um, but I still. I just. I need less. Of that, if they want me to care, I should say. If they want me to care about Raph and Petra, I need them to stop getting off the, uh, going around on the merry-go-round. No, I agree, and it feels like a way to really feed into the escalation of. Wait, no, now we have three villains, and it's just like, no, you just needed the two. You don't need a third one. Just go away, Petra's mom. Just go away. Yeah. Um, but now we just really want Petra, like, on her own and isolated, and we want Raph to be in this very, like, post-Zen Raph world now, and, um, it's just, I understand, like, the desire to, like, propel these characters forward, but I'm with you very, like, 100% in that if you really want me to care about this, then I need, like, a lot more time with them as, like, this functioning couple because I really enjoyed sort of them navigating through these sort of stilted conversations of declaring what they were feeling. And I liked the bit of comedy that came out of that, but also like the honesty between the two of them that came out of that sort of discussion. And while that is what led them to this breakup point, it could have also like just as easily sort of allowed a recommitment. And the fact that we just like, well, no, let's break them up because we need to really up these stakes a lot more is just like, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I find it telling that rather than like the first show that I watch, Jane has slipped to something that I definitely enjoy and I prioritize, but I do not run to my DVR to watch it the way that I used to. And, um, like, I can't wait to sit down and watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. There are several shows like that. Actually, surprisingly, the show we're going to talk about later in the episode, Exorcist, has, like, been one of the ones that, like, my go-to ones that I want to check in with. And Jane is one, like, I know I'll enjoy it when I get to it, but, and I will get to it this week. But it's certainly, I think some of my frustrations with the inherent, uh, back and forth of the telenovela approach and structure and everything is uh, building up in a way that it has, it doesn't when the show is firing on all cylinders. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is like, we're having to reestablish a bunch of stuff and then sort of wipe it out so that we can do this season's plotting. And I mean, like watching everything with Adam this week, I was just like, no, there's there's absolutely nothing in this that makes sense for me to believe that you want him to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, sure, let's do that. And it was also just sort of weird that our Latina uh, narrator lover was not present from like a stylistic perspective. Um, I didn't expect it to continue, but it was just weird that it just dropped off completely. Well, especially um, when they had that line, who knew comic books could be so romantic? I was absolutely ex- waiting for like a, I did, you know? Yeah, exactly. And like some sort of meta commentary about it. So it was, it was just, it's, it's as- the show's sort of like needing me to do a lot of engaging, which I, don't feel like i should be doing at season four 
Yeah. I also am not caring at all about Darcy. Um, I like the stuff they gave Zoe to do in response to her this episode, but like, I mean, I, I really enjoyed Justina Machado. So like, that's, that's saying something that I am not looking forward to her popping up like her scenes coming up uh i certainly could use i i love though the idea of of training sessions with raf and abuela that is delightful more of that please and i also like i would like a check-in with with uh with alma alba's uh, uh boyfriend you know like what's going on there like I don't know. Some of the, the the stuff that we're spending time on, I just really don't care about. I didn't like you said. I don't want to spend any time with Petra's mom at all. I don't like. I'm not that compelled by Adam because all the pros for Adam are things that are also there with in her some of her other relationships. Like everything she's doing with Adam, that's fun. I could see her also doing with Ralph if they got them back together. Like just without some of the cons like he's not distinct enough other than the fact that he doesn't have money um and so they just i think they still haven't earned him and so like every time we go to spend more time with with the two of them together while like this conversation about mom jane versus fun jane and these different identities sure there's an episode there and that's what this episode was but I would much rather be spending time with, like, let's check in with her friend whose name I can't remember like Lena who I would much rather see Jane you know out with her friends than than spending all this time with Adam if this is the only time she gets away from you know her mom Jane responsibilities right and we've seen this conflict before as well so it's just like we're just seeing it with a new guy who the show puts a lot of baggage on and sort of wants us to run with it and I'm just like, no, and like following up with you is just like, no, we haven't earned a connection with him in any way that makes me see him as a viable partner in any way, shape or form. No, go take that job. So you have some something resembling a living, please. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, any final thoughts? On uh, on these these other storylines, Darcy or, or buys and tries day. Um, the Darcy stuff was fine. I thought. Um, I I enjoyed uh, Fabian sort of like returning really quickly and then like disappearing uh, just <laughs> as quickly. And, and but I'm vaguely I'm vaguely looking forward to like the idea of Darcy and Esteban. But I also feel like we Esteban's just used in such measured ways that it just it i don't know how much of an impact it's going to have yeah no we'll we'll see if they actually keep him around for uh, like more than just a couple episodes or if he is just again deployed the way that they usually do which is one or two really focused episodes and then he's then he's gone again so we'll see how that goes let's move on to our next episode and that's the one of the the Two, well, there was two that we're going to talk about this week that are sort of Halloween themed, and this is fresh off the boat. It's a plastic pumpkin, Louis Wong. Um, so the the previous years, uh, fresh off the boats have have really gone all out for their Halloween episodes, and this one was a little different, um, which I thought I thought was probably a good idea, but it also featured. Well, there's several storylines. Most of them I didn't care about. The one I did care about, aside from the stunt casting of George Takei. Uh, the one I did care about was Evan and his amazing Tom Cruise in cocktail costume. Just for the, the actor's facial expressions were just 
so on point with that wig. Um, the rest of the episode was fine, entertaining enough, but not that memorable. But I am all here for Evan making mocktails, just like all night long. Yes, please. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like the episode was fine; it was solid, and I liked the knockoff Seinfeld costumes. Um, and I really appreciated Eddie's refusal and very slow walk away at being told he had to be Newman. <laughs> he was just like, "No, I'm not doing this. I am not Newman." And I really appreciated that that that, that was given the time it deserved in his like refusal. I feel like that was the best Seinfeld impersonation, by the way. Like his Eddie's new, well, I should say the actor's Newman. Yeah, was definitely but Like they were trying with the Kramer stuff, and like, but I really feel like. He the physicality, like he really captured Wayne Knight in that moment. It was really fun. Yes, he did. He did, and so it was a it was a nice moment. But yeah, no, the entire thing is stolen away by Evans' cocktail costume because it's amazing, and the explanation of him actually having the sign, oh, so that he can mimic the um the poster. It's just it's so good and it's so Evan, and it made me very very happy. <laughs> but it was sort of like the it, th- that was the peak of the episode, and everything else was like downhill. Yeah, I think a more successful Halloween episode uh, was Broad City's uh, Witches, and th- this one didn't work for me the way that I saw it. Really connected with a lot of other people, I more appreciated mm-hmm. it rather than really enjoying it. But I certainly got a kick out of the, the some of the different like guest appearances like Jane Curtin. I'm always going to love Jane Curtin. So her popping up uh, was, was delightful and like the jump scares with Literally her. popping up. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, just yeah, some of like, like the, the journey the different characters go on that, that connection of Alana to uh, like her depression and some other stuff connecting into her realization that she hasn't actually had an orgasm since the you know election since the 2016 election um and and like her not having realized and just being in this funk and not really understanding why um like while it was it was a bit much for me which is i know the point but like but i certainly appreciate the conversation as someone who i know personally was in quite a funk for months after the election and still is certainly very significantly affected by it um, I liked that the show just addressed it in such a head-on way. Um, was this episode more successful for you than it was for me? I think so. Like, I really enjoyed a lot of this episode. Um, I enjoyed Abby um, Abby's attempt to, like, sell her cards and how successful it was, but then, like, a realization that maybe she wasn't, like, totally doing it for the right reasons or for reasons that were ended up being sort of corrupted by having suddenly money. But then I liked how, like, what's his name? The pegging neighbor showed up. Jeremy! Yeah. Jeremy, right. And it was just, like, delightful. And, like, the button on that of, like, I should be tapping that every night. And it's just like, this is very good. (laughs) Um, But I I really also, like, enjoyed everything that was happening with Alana and her going to sort of a orgasm guru um i thought it was really delightful a uh, sex therapist i think would probably be yeah that would be the actual term <laughs> yeah. yeah um but it was just it was a really fun sort of like 
exploration of a storyline that I thought was going to be really more deeply tied to um, Lincoln, but then like took on like a much larger um, perspective that I really, really appreciated. So yeah. I, I, I really responded to it um, a lot. So I liked it. I liked it. I think a, a good deal more than you did. My favorite part of that se- of that whole storyline was definitely her, like Smeagol Gollum back and forth that we got for a while uh the various pro and then like like Pence you know like oh it was so funny <laughs> and the delivery was just spot on um so yeah while while it didn't come together for me really work for me as much as I saw like really did connect with with a significant portion of the show's audience uh i still really appreciated it and and i i got a lot of enjoyment out of like certain parts of it indeed uh as well as just the 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 conclusion of the episode like just (laughs) at this this like bonfire in the woods was delightful yeah it was it was a weird and like the ending was a little weird but i also like by that point did not care because of everything that come that had gone to build that up and i just so i i really appreciated it yeah. Uh, let's move on to our last episode of the week, and that's The Good Place. And so first off, we didn't talk about the trolley problem last week because you hadn't seen it. Now do you see what I'm talking about? Because you were going on a train trip, and they go on a trolley trip over and over again in that episode. That's what's killing me when we were talking about last week. Um, I, I really love that episode. What did you think of the trolley problem? I liked the trolley problem a good deal. Um, I enjoyed sort of like um, the small, like turning it into sort of a torture um i really liked um and again like eleanor figuring it out and but i also liked how chidi sort of like stuck to his guns about like no you can't really bribe me with this if i'm going to do this i need to like see legitimate change in you um which led really nicely into jenna and michael um so i was really glad that i that these two episodes ended up being paired together because otherwise i don't think that uh, especially Janet and Michael wouldn't have worked as well without what we get in the trolley problem. But I also enjoyed a whole discussion about a autumn of a shrimp dispensary and don't, don't, don't eat the mystery flavor. It's white chocolate. It's gross. Chomp. <laughs> it's, it's very good. <laughs> you can't bribe us with these things. Eat some more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was funny. Um, I absolutely agree. the 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 way they're developing Michael in the in from just the distance that they've traveled with him from two episodes ago to one episode to this week's episode, I think is really distinct. I like that they are so actively engaging with that, and the the idea that maybe Michael's not even comfortable with or aware of the extent to which you know teaming up with Team Cockroach is affecting him. I think has been has been really nice, uh, very well handled. Again, D- Danson is killing it. Uh, his his heartfelt thing to Cheedy in the previous episode, and then his like willingness to f- to fully verbalize. No, it's you're my friend, and you know, like th- what that means for him to acknowledge that, not just come up with some excuse for not killing her or, or shutting her down and getting a new Janet. Uh, I thought was really nice. I like that they didn't, cause they could have just had him say, Oh, I'm not gonna be able to steal, you know, like break in and steal another one. You know, like they could have given him an out like that and they didn't. And I appreciated that the way that the trolley problem was such a great spotlight for William Jackson Harper. Uh, this one really is all about Darcy Carden. Uh, and she is so terrific. I just like the delivery of, 
Uh, there, there's been a few, you know, this ties into the conversation about Broad City. There's been a few, like, little moments in TV the past year that I felt have been, like, so perfect for the current era. Uh, that, like, just as a person who's vehemently opposed to everything the current administration stands for, there's this Twin Peak Twin Peaks moment earlier this year where like a guy's like shooting people in the street and somebody says what's going on it's like people are stressed out Jim or something like that people are on edge uh that's been one of them and then this week and on good place the hi guys I'm broken it's just like how often have we felt that way Noel how often oh it was wonderful uh, a pretty often and b yes it was really wonderful um Cardin's just really fantastic in this episode in a way that she hasn't had like a lot of space to necessarily do she's been like hinting been able to hint at it in certain places um this season but like this episode in particular like there's like subtle shifts in like voice tone apart from like the really obvious ones of you need to kill me now michael no wait that was a little too light and chipper you need to kill me now, Michael. And just, like, those sorts of things are really obvious for, like, gag lines, but then there's subtler sort of inflections about, no, you're wrong, and that just, like, shift Janet into a different sphere. And so it was just such a really good performance for them, for both her, but also for Danson. Like, his whole build-up and explosion into, because friends is just really really good and just really delightful to watch that really that that really climax in that moment and still get a line of like yep just two peas in a pod one of whom needs to kill the other one immediately (laughs) it's just it's really good and it's really fun and i was also just really happy that we're we didn't drop janet and jason yeah because i think there was a little bit of concern that that was going to get dropped and then the show was like oh no we're gonna have a whole thing about it don't you worry and it includes vomiting pennies and it's amazing (laughs) so i i this was like especially after being sort of like lukewarm a little bit um i was really happy with this episode that sort of like made me feel more back on track with the show and now we've got Manzukas. I was gonna um, say, how do you feel about the the addition of Jason Manzukas? Um, but which, of course, we're both fans of his work, but as a very heightened character. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes, um, and where they sort of like ground him. Because I mean, we've had this discussion about Manzukas when we were. Um, watching i'm sorry this summer of like oh he's doing another big broad character it's funny because i i like watching him introduce himself to plants and run into a mirror um and his like excitement about miss you too babe no i miss you more and it's just like this is funny but it's also just like i've seen it like from him before so i'm like interested in like something different or the just hopefully the idea that he'll only be around for like a little while like we've got like this next week's episode and then they're off until january again kate they're gone until january after next week oh man yeah i guess it our weekend tv is getting getting get a little more manageable but still it makes me sad (laughs) yeah it makes me very sad (laughs) yeah well uh, what wins your week in comedy noel oh stop asking me to pick between my children um (laughs) 
Um, I'm going to go with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend this week. Um, as really much as, as I loved uh, Jan and Michael, um, I'm going to give it to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I watched a bunch of different t- comedies. That, like We both did that we didn't even mention, but this really does come down to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend versus uh, Good Place. And I got I got to give it to Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And, like, Good Place was so good, but, like, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has songs, so it's really not fair. anyways crazy ex-girlfriend wins the week in comedy for me now we'll take a break uh listen to little britney spears and be back with our week in reality genre and drama we'll be right back after this That was Hit Me Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, featured <laughs> oh so entertainingly in this week's episode of Supergirl. Um, though I kind of do wish they had like kept it going through. like Yeah, the entire time. That would have been so much better. But, you know, maybe there was some like rights issues as to like how much they had to pay, depending on how long they played it. I don't know, but... It was still delightful in the, its usage this week. Uh, this week in reality, genre and drama, I'm going to talk a little bit about Lee Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath uh, and Queen Sugar. We'll check in very briefly with Mindhunter Season 1 and then talk about the CW superhero shows just kind of all together. Those are Supergirl, Far From the Tree, Legends of Tomorrow, Zari, Flash, Luck Be a Lady, and Arrow, the next of kin. And then we'll, we'll round out our week in TV with The Exorcist, One for Sorrow. So first up, I wanted to mention Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath. They're winding up their second season. I think there's just like one or maybe two episodes left. This episode in particular, uh, The Business of Religion, was talking about the way that Scientology um, funds itself, uh, one of the ways it funds itself, through uh, people's accounts that they build up within Scientology and uh, and this notion that you can get a refund from the church and, and then the ways that the church makes it impossible to actually get that refund and uh, talking about money and the ways that uh, people get defrauded and then p- perhaps could get some, if there's some lawsuits out against the Church of Scientology for fraud that they're hoping maybe if those break through some of the defenses that, uh, you know, the First Amendment defenses that Scientology has has been able to use previously, that could open the floodgates for a lot more. And it was a very interesting discussion. Uh, it was like sort of a roundtable discussion. It was a little different than they usually do on the show, but one I really uh, appreciated. So uh, this is still a show I look forward to every time it's on. And for those who haven't checked it out but are interested, do seek out Leah Remini's Scientology in the Aftermath. Also, I wanted to mention Queen Sugar Heritage. It was an intense episode, some really great stuff. And I look forward to when you've had a chance to see it and all we can talk about it. But we had a very 
potent return of a character we had which was i think a really smart way of contrasting some of the different dynamics we've seen explored this season um i'll leave it there people who've seen it will know what i'm talking about we get to meet darla's parents uh that is handled incredibly well we get a follow-up on aunt vi and what's going on with her and that also is really uh i was really glad that we checked back in with her and um yeah, I'll just leave it there. But there was some real significant feels. But what this show just does so well, and it does it every week, every episode, is give such humanity to all of its characters, with the exception of of the you know the ultimate villains of the piece. But like everybody in in the Bordelon family, every like ev- everybody who they're interacting with, there's there's usually not a correct answer you know unless it's that ralph angel's being stupid but like as far as the like response to new information or to a stressor in in a relationship you can absolutely respect both perspectives on on a situation or, or or in a dynamic i think we could point to the 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 use of charlie's mom this this season being like another great example of that so there's some really terrific stuff in this week's episode of queen sugar heritage and i wanted to mention that um now you finished season one of mindhunter yeah and how did the season wrap up for you i wrapped up really well um i ended up like really enjoying the show overall i liked um the work that um everyone put in um towards the end groff in particular naturally um especially after they really sort of embraced his whole sort of empathetic sort of approach to interrogating these guys um that everything started to really kind of click into place um I don't think that any of the serial killers, uh, both like as subjects but also as performers, could top what was happening with um, Ed Kemper and his performance, uh, which is why, like what you alluded to um, when you would watch the finale after only watching like the first episode or first episode or two, was basically just like, oh, this is really going to hit hard, and then it does because like that Kemper performance is so amazing and so, like fraught with everything um so i really enjoyed it some of like the maneuvering around with like fbi protocol and everything is sort of like feels very rote um but a lot of that um is kept afloat by the fact that everyone's generally really good in their roles so i really enjoyed it i've kept waiting for a second season uh to like be announced for it but that hasn't happened yet and i'm just like but but guys i I would like a second season please and thank you um so did you get a chance to watch like the episodes in between the bookends i've seen several of them but i haven't finished the first season yet so i'm i'm working my way through it we'll see if i finish it this week or if i just spend the week watching stranger things season two uh more on that next week i do feel like since we're talking a little mind hunter here we should mention anna torv is not Carrie Coon and was it Vulture who did the? It was Vulture and Slate both each did a. Who's Anna Torv? And everyone probably went. You mean the woman from the very successful uh, sci-fi series on Fox for like five, six seasons that more people saw than Fringe, uh, not Fringe, but Fargo or The Leftovers, right? You mean that Anna Torv? <laughs> you mean that Anna Torv who like straight up killed it 
four years and was one of the more underappreciated and underrecognized actresses on network TV while Fringe was going, specifically seasons two on. Yeah, we know who Anna Torv is. Come on. Yeah, no, it was it was very weird, but it's also, I think, just sort of a reflection of how television is so focused in the now, now mm-hmm. that even something like Fringe, which hasn't even been off the air very long, um, is like this ancient archaic artifact that no one remembers anymore. And you just kind of go, well, that doesn't make sense. It is on Netflix. <laughs> Or just, like, the idea that it was a sci-fi show, it was, like, a Friday show for a while, and so, therefore, nobody respects or cares about it, and, like, this is a serious drama about serial killers, so, like, clearly that's more prestigious. Or, like, The Leftovers is so much better and so much, I mean, you know I love The Leftovers, but, like, this idea that it's, like, so much more worthy of knowing who the actors are than a show like Fringe, just that, that... The, the, some of the discussion like that kind of discussion just reeked of you know some of us like there's really good acting on genre shows too it's not just on dramas that make you cry anyways and don't, let's not pretend fringe didn't make us cry too <laughs> right and i mean i really look forward to the who's john noble th- theme I, piece uh... that comes out soon because that'll not happen <laughs> yeah it really is just because you know like nobody's going who's just joshua jackson you know obviously dawson's creek but still the point remains yeah. um let's move on to the cw's uh superhero shows uh we had supergirl which you know moved us towards where we're going with the breakup for for sanvers it's definitely going to be as dr uh bridges was was guessing that uh like kids versus not kids is gonna be what drives that and i, I really like the stuff we got with sanders but also with jean up on mars and we got uh lessons tomorrow zari which was I thought, more successful than it's been in a little bit uh a, a very goofy flash um and uh, a middling kind of era how, how are you feeling about this week's cw output um i, th- I thought that this week was generally overall sort of just fine in a lot of ways um like supergirl i thought was good i enjoyed um the stuff that we got with maggie um in particular just like maggie and um like a little explanation of her backstory the stuff with her dad i thought all worked really really well and i liked how the show wanted to like parallel that with jean and meaning is coming coming face to face with his father portrayed by carl lumley who of course voiced jean in the justice league series and and is dixon familius but yes the the pertinent thing is that he also has voiced uh jean in a bunch of things yeah so that was like a really nice like little bit of casting that the cw shows historically do a fair do a really good job with and so I, I liked how that got factored in. I didn't really care about anything that was happening with the White Martians, though. Um, so it was just like, this is this seems like a way to get Carr away from everything that's happening on Earth so that we can do this thing with Maggie. Um, and then so it just felt like a weird distraction from something I was much more interested in. Um how did you feel about that? Or do you just want me to keep going? <laughs> no, I liked it. I, I, I mean... It didn't feel like a distraction to me. I think just I, I liked that they s- didn't feel the need to keep like they that they kind of just stepped to the side and did this Jean and Maggie focus and paralleling the two 
um, dynamics. I thought I thought it worked, and they came up with a good way to to you know, like I think each one individually was compelling, and um, pairing them worked well. I thought that the the stuff that they, the baggage they gave Maggie and her relationship with her father and the way they resolved it or just or didn't, I thought was was really effective, and I liked that they didn't. Like that, they gave him reasoning that is still wrong and and just so hurtful, but something that you could understand. Like it was like something you could get other than just like, I think that being gay is wrong, so I disown you. Like 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 the way that some other you know not not that that isn't something that people like that's obviously something people do experience. Uh, right. like a heartbreaking amount of the time. But I thought that what they gave them here was more nuanced and l- allowed for more to play with uh, for the actors. And uh, let it was a little more surprising um, while still really being very, like it just rang true to what you, I'm sure some people have experienced and like, just, I don't know, just, it was really effective. And the stuff with, like, up in Mar- on Mars, like, yeah, so, like, the skating around the CG, it's like, we will look like you because it's tradition and we don't have much budget. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll yeah. go with them <laughs> on that. I thought the, the beats of it were worked well. And just the, the stuff with um, Harewood and uh, Lumley just was so... Uh, impactful like it was they they really nailed some of those scenes like the flashback like the memory was just was absolutely very it was very heartwarming and 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 affecting yeah the emotional core of the mars stuff was really good but i'm chalking all of that up to lumley and um harwood more so than like my interest in this amorphous sort of fight against the white martians that the show just sort of drops in and out of um so that's sort of where i ended up on that yeah i just I don't care about white martians but if they're yeah. gonna if if we can use white martians to give david harewood more to do i'm down for it so i'll take it um yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts on Supergirl or any other... Uh, do you want to check in with any of the other DC superhero shows or should we move on to Exorcist? Um, No, I don't really have anything else. They were all like sort of, again, uniformly fine. Um, though, though I think the one thing that we should probably touch on, at least regarding Flash, is how did you feel about how they're handling Wally's exit slash totally rebooting the show back to season one? I think uh, a couple things. I liked that they so clearly addressed that at the mm-hmm. end of the episode. Um, I liked that, you know, if you're not going to use him, then don't keep him on the show. I think they should use him instead and keep him on yes. the show. But if you're not going to use him, rather than having him just kind of stay in the background until you give him one line, like, you know, um, bringing back H, uh, sorry, Harry. Again, I really it's disappointing because I do feel like they the writers and Kavanaugh have really lost the thread on who Harry was. This is again a different version of Harry and it's a fun version of Harry, but this is not the Harry we first met and that is a little disappointing for me because he did such a terrific job Kavanaugh did such a terrific job of keeping them distinct for the first like two and a half seasons of the show um i was a little underwhelmed by that but i do appreciate kavanaugh and there was some fun stuff with with him and uh and uh with, with harry and cisco um yeah it, it's disappointing you know that they couldn't come up with more for uh for wally to do but it's i sort of feel like i do about arrow like if you're not gonna have if you're not gonna use thea keeping her in a coma is you know okay with me 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'd rather they use, like, to your point, I'd rather they use Wally because I think Lonsdale is a really charismatic performer that brings a lot to that show. Mm-hmm. But they've also just clearly, even, like, a little bit into season uh, three, they sort of, like, lost the thread on what they really wanted Wally to do or be, as opposed to just this backup uh, which is how they largely treated him. So I'm I'm upset that he's sort of like leaving for a little while. I mean, I imagine he'll come back. Um, but it's just, it's, it's a little frustrating. And it's also like, I'm in full agreement with you regarding like Harry's return of like, he's a little more bumbly this time and stuttering and not like... Th- I get that his confidence has been sort of shaken since he's been literally voted off of his earth, but <laughs> it's it's sort of a weird way to bring him back into the fold and bring a Harrison Wells back into the fold um, that it, it feels a little manufactured, especially when we don't even get like a full thing of Jesse of like, no, you get a garbled hologram from a breakup cube, which is just a terribly wonderful thing. uh, (laughs) Isn't that that awesome? (laughs) It's so terrible. Um, But yeah, so I agree with you that like both the writing and um, Kavanaugh sort of like lost the thread on who Harry is and how Harry speaks and sounds and that I'm hoping that they sort of refine that if they're going to keep Harry around, which I think is what they're going to do since we didn't do another Harrison Wells audition, which is probably a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. It's just, it's frustrating because it's like, Kavanaugh's a good enough actor. I, I want to be like, did you not realize you could just go rewatch your previous work on it? Yeah. Or, or unless it's a very active choice to change him and hope the audience doesn't notice, you know, like, unless they're like, mm, we want to pivot the character so that he can fulfill a slightly different role in the group and we'll just like unless it's an active conversation it's something that i'm definitely disappointed in about about the re- the way that character is returning um the other thing i will mention about the cw superhero shows disappointed in there are not enough like big enough eyes for me to roll enough to appropriately convey my reaction to the diggle end of episode oh, thing God, i'm so <sighs> upset so Come upset on. and so angry. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was it was deeply frustrating and also just like really amusing to me that we were we've gone back to a green arrow well of well, wait, no, Diggle, drugs, sidekick, and it's just like and I just went, No, we, we we addressed this in a way with Thea very early on and bypassed it really nicely. We don't need to do it here with Diggle. Yep. And it's just like, no, this is not okay. I mean, I don't even need you guys to like figure out a way around him pulling a trigger for a badass crossbow. It's mm-hmm. just just have him like have a fingerprint recognition thing for it or something. You literally just have technology as magic at this point. You can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's like it's not it's not like his role on the team is the only part of his life too. They go out of the way to reference his wife and his kid in this episode and the idea that that is something a choice he would make endangering him himself his health and but also his family like like it's like not diggle's not stupid he knows like he knows what this path can and will lead to the i i don't buy for a second him making this choice so i it's, it's really irritating 
It is. And yeah, no, it really doesn't make any sense, even from like a shaken confidence perspective of where he is with this. It's just like the idea that he's not telling anyone is just bizarre to me. And that also, and I don't have enough of a connection with Dinah to have a, why isn't she really telling anyone about any of this is like really frustrating. And so it's very difficult to watch like the side characters either not express concerns or express concerns, but also sort of be shrugged off that I'm just like, this is really frustrating. And I'd, I'd really like for you guys to have a more open conversation and also John, you're always happy to call people out on their shit. So acknowledge yours and let's let's move on from this, please. One of his best friends is paralyzed and has a little thingy on her spine fixing her nerves. Right. Come on. Yeah. Anyways. Dunzo. Yeah. Yeah. Heaven forbid we think for two seconds. Um, Okay. Let's move on to our last episode in the week in TV. And that's the exorcist one for sorrow. Spoiler alert. We're going to talk about this episode up to and including this episode, including a twist and or reveal. So if you don't want to be twisted and or revealed, um, Noel, they should, you know, if they're looking for like a horror-y kind of fun, spooky show. Yeah. They should check out Exorcist, right? Like, we are both full on board with season two, I think, at this point. Yeah? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You guys should um, definitely go and check out season two. Um, I'm probably going to circle back and watch season one um, where I left off. But you can dive into season two and you will be perfectly okay. And you should dive into season two. Yeah, especially now that you mentioned that they're going on hiatus for a while. I I think yeah. that might be, you know, like how I feel the hiatus is catching back up with season one. So now that you've been warned, we're diving in with this week's episode. I love I love the twist or the reveal that like we've been watching the kids like, OK, which of the kids is possessed and what's the like the uh, what's going to be like the 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 through line of this like the foster home and like this part of the show and and then we find out at the end of this episode uh no it's not the kids well it's probably a blind kid as well but like but it's it's andy it's the one who seems like he's got everything together is the one who's been hallucinating and seeing things for the entirety of the show and, like, that explains the wall and, like, the, like, focusing on that one handprint on the wall because that's the handprint from, you know, the not their grace. Oh, I was, I was like, oh, oh, good job, show. Well done. No, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, like, I, I sort of started, like, especially in this episode, sort of going, like, why isn't anyone else talking to Grace? This is really kind of bugging me. I get that she's, like, socially withdrawn and avoiding at everyone and the house is probably at a point where they acknowledge and accept that from grace especially given her age but why is verity not talking to her about this right exactly and that was sort of like kind of clicking in and so like verity coming home early from school and everything and then just like who is he running around with and just all this sort of stuff is just like it's been it was a really nice reveal and it like i sort of like kind of grumped about this idea of like how long is it going to take the priest to get to this island and now i'm just like no we took the right amount of time getting the priests to this island because it gave us so much time with andy and with this and with these kids to establish all these dynamics to get 
to this reveal of what's going on and it just works really really well and to your point about like the show being off for a little while because of uh baseball uh like the first season does this as well where they have a big reveal right before they went on a baseball induced hiatus and it similarly sort of redefines the show um and what they're going to do going forward at roughly the same time so the show is like hyper aware of their place in the schedule and writes to it and that's really cool to see yeah definitely uh i i didn't care as much about the stuff going on like on the other like with the the church and all of that like i thought it was like it was effective what they did you know worked well and everything i was in it in the moment but i don't i don't care about that part of the show um i did though enjoy the way that they brought the priests together like everything together i thought worked really well i was okay not just me right super flirty uh like ecological expert in priest scene there right like we can go look at some eagles or whatever it was pelicans i don't remember like that wasn't just me right no 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 like i'm almost like 90 percent positive like marcus is like canonically gay if not bi but i'm pretty sure he's gay oh and um that yes that u.s fish and wildlife services guy was totally hitting on marcus mm-hmm. and um he was just like yeah we can go to the part of the island that's only reserved for you know federal specialists and it's just like oh my god dude just get a room already <laughs> um <laughs> but no it's very good and i was very very amused by it um because it's really well played and um uh, ben daniels i think is the actor's name like 80% yeah positive yeah ben is daniels very, is the actor. Yeah. yeah is very very good in that scene as he is like across the episode um but it's just it was a really delightful uh, little bit of levity right before everything comes crashing down um so no i really enjoyed this episode and i'm really like pumped for it to come back after um baseball world series stuff wraps up can we also just have a moment for how creepy the shadow form oh no i don't want to talk about the shadow thing kate i do not want to talk about the shadow thing everyone (laughs) needs a nightlight forever in that room you know in that house just like saved by the cell phone oh my god it was intense no i was like super worried because i was just like no no the two people of asian descent just kissed no you leave them alone show (laughs) leave them alone let them be happy (laughs) <laughs> i already have enough of star trek discovery killing off women of color i don't need this <laughs> yeah indeed indeed oh man okay well what wins your week in reality genre and drama well i want to give a shout out real quick to uh frontline uh they have a two-part special um that concludes next week uh that is all about uh putin's rise to power in russia uh the first part was really good focused basically on yeltsin's uh passing of the torch all the way up to the Obama administration, and it's uh, it's very good, and I uh, really recommend checking out the first part, um, especially if you're not super familiar with Putin really up until sort of like the George Bush, uh, George W. Bush administration. There's some really good information, and also the fact that if you didn't know who Putin was prior to the George W. Bush administration, surprise, you were not alone. Literally nobody did. Um, so there's some really good stuff in there, so I really recommend checking it out. But winning my week is probably The Exorcist, um, just for 
it's a really strong way to go on like a brief baseball hiatus. So it was a really good episode. Uh, what about you? What won your week in genre drama and reality? So I'm torn because I loved Queen Sugar. And I also had so much fun and such a strong reaction to Exorcist. And so because you gave it to Exorcist and we've been, you know, giving it quite a bit of love the last few weeks, I I will give it to Queen Sugar, but like they're really close and they're so different. Yeah, I was going to say these are two very different different shows, Kate. (laughs) But I I really enjoyed both of them this week, along with several other things. But like those are the ones that that stand out for me. So that's where we will leave our weekend, everything but comedy. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our spotlight on A Malcolm, the reunion episode of Outlander. So we will be back right after this. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Calls It Joined as Ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week for our special segment, I wanted to spotlight this week's episode of Outlander, A. Malcolm, because I know it was a highly anticipated episode for fans of the show and fans of the books. And also because uh, I wanted to see, Noel indulged me here, if, you, if Noel had watched this episode, now that you get stars, and um, and see what you thought about it from the perspective of someone who's seen just like part of the first season and hasn't like, like, so how effective it is for me as a regular viewer of the show, but also Noel, uh, for someone who's like just tuning in for the first time in several years. Uh, so, so remind me Noel and, and our listeners, how much of Outlander have you seen? I think I've seen the first four episodes of season one, a, um, so barely any of the show. (laughs) Okay. Now, by that point, were Claire and Jamie married? Um, I don't. I don't think. I so. don't think you so. You didn't see no. that. You would know if you had seen their wedding episode. Yeah, and I don't think that had happened yet. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure they weren't married yet. I'm pretty sure. Again, Noel, if you if you had seen the episode, you would know it's like nothing but wedding sex for an entire episode, almost entirely from uh from uh Katrina Bell from Claire's perspective. So yeah, you would you would you would know. <laughs> so so this was a very different viewing experience than I guess uh, for you, not just from that perspective of like. Jumping back in with these characters at very different stages of the show, and but also their lives, but also because this episode is is geared very much to parallel that wedding ep- that wedding episode with like the pacing and the structure. So uh, this will be, I think, this will be an interesting conversation. So I guess let's start with uh, what did you think, Noel? How did you respond to this episode? Was it just like, yep, that was an episode. I guess stuff happened, or you know, did it drag 
grab you? Did it, did it, did it make you like invest in these characters or was it just kind of like, you know, there was a, was there that distance of not having caught up with the show? Well, I mean, there was a little bit of a sense of not knowing entirely what was going on, especially when we met people that Claire had met in the previous, um, in, back in season one, who are now all grown up, or um, that and that kind of a thing. So when she met um, Fergus? Fergus, yeah. Yeah. I was just like, I have no idea who this kid is. I don't know. <laughs> um, but also, like, when she met um, the 15-year-old a uh, little bit at the brothel, um, the son of uh, Jamie's brother or sister? Jamie's sister, yeah. Yeah. I just went, I don't know who this kid is either. And I vaguely maybe remember who his brother is or his sister is. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so both of those things didn't really like ring on anything for me in particular. And were more like, oh, but this is nice. I suppose that they're like getting this moment for, to see Claire again or to meet Claire. And so yeah. I liked that particular aspect of it. But I think the, like, the big takeaway from it was is that for me, it wasn't really just, oh, this was an episode of television that I watched. It was, it felt very much, even as someone who just has sort of a cursory knowledge of the rhythms of the show and from having talked to you, but also from having seen other discussions of it, that this was one of the... It, uh, mm, I felt actually very sort of emotionally affected by the episode, particularly the stuff in the um in the print in the print shop of of here I am, oh it's you and I have no pants on, and the sort of <laughs> delightfulness of them sort of bumbling and getting reacquainted with one another, explaining photographs and cameras, but also showing sort of like their daughter off to Jamie was just, it was really emotionally affecting and in a way that I don't think I anticipated necessarily and ended up thinking of the episode less as a piece of serialized narrative in which um, that I have a significant amount of build up to this thing happening between these two time time forlorn lovers but more so is sort of a short story in which this woman comes back to her lover and is relieved and happy to be there and that he is also similarly relieved and happy that she is there and that's sort of how i treated it is a more of a contained short story rather than this build-up that had been coming for like a season and a half at this point i think so it was especially like the first 40 minutes were just really really effective everything that came sort of after that when they got back to the brothel um and basically everything that happened after dinner all the sex i just kind of went all right this is just an episode of television for me and i also kept waiting for a dong and a dong never happened <laughs> and so, but it was, it was good. I was moved by a lot of it. And then as soon as they sort of had to re-enter the real world of outside the two of them, I immediately went, oh, I'm not super interested in this anymore. But up until that point, I was, I, I was really moved by a lot of it. So as um, someone who actually watches the show, uh, how, how did, how did this work for you? Was this a satisfying sort of, um, release climax of them being apart for so long or did it not quite live up to expectations well i think 
the point you made of the structuring of the episode as very much like a short story like it's that was a really interesting choice for them to make and i think it i think it works well the previous episode is all like entirely from claire's perspective so it's her like deciding if she's going to abandon her grown daughter and her life in the present in her present at least to travel back in time and her making that decision and then getting ready and all these other stuff that comes with it. So there's a lot of purpose um, to, you know, and, and these really difficult choices she has to make um, and that all, that all culminates in her arriving at the print shop and, you know, finding that, yay, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, it actually is him. Cause that could have just been a coincidence. It didn't necessarily have to be, him it could have they could have just guessed wrong you know that would have been um, but... super tragic kate <laughs> <laughs> well we don't know maybe she could have gone back you know just had the the like the the worst uh, trip abroad ever how was your vacation it was terrible <laughs> we're never talking about it i mean i came back because i love again. you daughter that's why <laughs> um anyways uh so so i having this episode open not where the previous episode ended, which was with Jamie fainting, but at the beginning of his day and then seeing, you know, like seeing the other people at the print shop and we meet the, the brothel uh, owner and madam at the beginning of the day. We don't know exactly who she is, but like, so we see, you know, seeing everything from his perspective for the first part, like the opening of the episode, I think really uh, is, is an interesting choice. And it, it highlights his life being interrupted by Claire again and and this idea of now we're off to the races like the show is kind of back so she was doing her thing in the 60s you know 40s 50s 60s he and then here we see what he's been doing since the last time we checked in with him so he's been about 10 years you know helping like raising his his son that they contrived to have him have in a very unfortunate, poorly thought out way. Um, and then, then he moves on and then we hadn't seen what he'd been doing for the next 10 years that they were apart. And so this gives us an idea of that. And now we're going to, after we deal with them coming back together, we'll be continuing with, you know, the, the drama of Jamie, the papist smuggler and how Claire fits into all of that stuff. Um, so, so yeah, I, I thought that that was a really smart choice. I liked the structuring of the episode to so strongly mirror elements of the wedding episode. I thought that was very, again, very smart, very effective. I like you was most moved by everything um, dealing with their time apart and their age and the like Jamie, like freaking out over bikinis. Like I'm here for that all the time. <laughs> and, and just, you know, all those, those touches in the print shop, I thought were really lovely. The set design of the print shop was just beautiful to look at. Um, the, the stuff at the brothel, the sex scenes and, and their dinner and all of that, again, I thought was, uh, worked well. It, it was a little, um, it was a little cutesy, but I could have taken, uh, it, but it, I, it, there there's some awkwardness, but I could have had even more of that. Like, you know, when they smack noses and, and some of that, I, I think they're trying to thread the needle of being aware of the awkwardness of them having been apart for so long while also 
underlining a sense of an inevitability and this larger epic romance to their union, like the, them being together is so much more powerful than even this 20 year separation and this awkwardness that in the end that that wins them both over pretty quickly and they're right back to sort of their normal. Um, so I think that I, I would have preferred a little more like in that balance, a little bit more awkwardness than maybe, you know, what we got this idea that at least with when it's just the two of them, they're good over the course of an evening. Um, so, yeah, I think there's stuff that uh, I'm sure for book fans and for like people who are just fans of this series, like this whole world, as opposed to watching it just from the lens of a TV show um and not as like a fan of the romance genre and everything i i I thought it was solid i thought there was some really affecting stuff um but i also i would have liked it to not be as tidy i guess and i i think tidiness is sort of a good word because it is sort of very tidy in a lot of ways like their whole sort of cutesy guessing game about what he's doing aside from being a print shop owner um, including how he's managed to stay so super buff. Um, <laughs> I love that, though. I love she's like, you are not just a print shop owner. Look at those abs. Yeah. And it's funny, but it's also sort of like, again, it goes back to sort of your point about how easily they fall back into rhythms with one another, despite... And it's, it's 20 years on his side as well, yes? Yes. Yeah. So the 20 years apart, and it's just sort of like they haven't lost a step. It's indeed like riding a bicycle. And then you have to explain what a bicycle is. And um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that that's sort of a tidiness that can be explained as a in the moment sort of thing. But then like they can start mining fissures within that for dramatic oomph later on as Claire comes to maybe see what Jamie's life is now that he's established as this printer, papist, smuggler, um, and all of that that entails. Um, and to the, to the point in which she's, if this is the same man still, and if she's still the same person that can respond to that and accept that, I guess, would be, like, based on, again, a very cursory knowledge of this, if that's something that both of them can come to grips with and come to terms with. And I guess that would be interesting for the every everything that this show's been building to to get to this point. Yeah, I was really struck watching this episode at just how much of a genre show this is, because I kept even having no background in romance literature and like the the what the genre is aside from you know having seen book covers in the romance section walking through bookstores. Like, I don't know the the language of the genre, uh, but I could feel, like, when, we were, when I was watching this episode, it did, I did feel some of the things that felt like, okay, that must be, like, this feels very much the way that I feel, like, the beats that I recognize when I'm watching shows that are genre, that are, like, sci-fi shows commenting on sci-fi like tropes and types and then responding to them i felt like that was happening in this episode i just don't didn't have, don't have the language to describe all of it you know but like this idea of uh 
lovers across time and inevitability and fate and like did what it made me think about was just how underrepresented this genre is and like when we because we obviously we talk about our week in comedy or week in drama or week in genre but what does the word genre as a category even mean and how underrepresented romance is within like the subset of genre shows um, and how underrespected it is as a, as a genre that has been around forever. Um, did, were you picking up in any of those like elements that felt like they were responding to in part of a larger like trend or, or style or like approach within the romance, like the background of romance literature? Well, sure. I I think that's something that the show, uh, and I can only speak to the show because I haven't read any of the books that are in, in this series. But I, even from like that handful of episodes I watched um, from season one, that the show's deeply immersed in the conventions of the romance uh, novel, that epic sort of paperback um, approach to romance. And I, I think that it's sort of it's baked in i think in a lot of ways even down to her having sort of competing uh bows as it were and each one offering her something that the other one can't even if it's just one's in the 40s where my life is and the other is not in the 40s where my life is (laughs) but i think that that's still i think that it's so steeped in those sort of traditions that it both engages them in really delightful ways but also sort of plays with them as well in like a lot of ways like i think like the line that's stuck in my head is when he when jamie describes claire's breast as ivory and then in the very next line describes her skin as pale or white velvet and i'm just like well which one is it hon is it ivory or is it velvet it can't really be both and so i mean that feels like that sort of oh that very kind of purple quote-unquote overwrought sort of like dramatic uh romantic language that you would see in some of the like the again quote lesser versions of this kind of a story but it feels sort of almost played for laughs a little bit for like the audience's sake but at the same time they're still able to engage in like sort of like the delightful little happenstances with the with the pants and the inkwell and that kind of stuff where it's a little bit of humor it's body but it's also really endearing and sweet and even the entire episode, I think, is structured in such a way that mimics the idea of this just being a really long instance of foreplay to get to the sex stuff, which is very representative of a lot of the more historical-driven romance novels, where there's a similar amount of buildup and like flirty flir- foreplay to get to that sort of big moment. And I, I, I just think that the show, even again, going back to the few episodes that I watched from season one, understands how to navigate those things in a way that makes sense for both readers of that kind of a genre, but also that works well on television. Well, and I think that, you know, you talk about some of the, the dialogue. I, you know, I think we got to get a lot of credit to the actors, to Katrina Balfe and to Sam Hagen for like pulling off some of the more ridiculous parts of this because yes that that dialogue of okay is she ivory or is she velvet those are very different (laughs) um but i he's so earnest i absolutely believe believe that when he's saying that like 
that like he sells this dialogue and and between their physicality and their delivery and and even like the blocking and the the editing too the cast the these you know these central pair are able to really bring to life and find small moments of like relatability in a super epic sweeping grandiose romance like moment or or like day i guess um it, and so it never like the immediacy of television you know versus the remove of a book still lets that work yeah yeah absolutely and yeah no it does it does and even like I mean, the ivory thing is the ivory velvet thing is a good example, but then also like her desire for him not to go gently, not now, is again also something pretty like romance novelistic, but that works within that moment. Especially again, considering that it's been twenty years, my God, let's ju let's just do it and not hold back, sort of thing. And I th I think that that all works within the moment of it, even if I do even if I did sort of like chuckle and text like three people that line about the velvet and the ivory. And I was just like, this is ridiculous. It's good, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> I kept waiting for Claire to, um, after, you know, uh, Jamie felt self-conscious about the, the sounds from the other rooms, shall we say, I kept waiting for her to be like, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's give them a run for their money. You know? Yeah. And I was actually kind of glad that that didn't happen. It wouldn't have yeah. been super in character after like, at a different point in the relationship, actually, I could kind of see them being more playful and having fun like that. But um, at this point, 20 years on, just like seeing each other for the first time again, uh, it would not have been appropriate, I don't think, for their state of minds. But there, that is, again, the kind of show that this series wants to be. Like, to, it, It's very happy treading that line, and I think the respect for the genre and for the the fans and it like the readers of the books and, and but the fans of this type of storytelling is just so palpable and when audiences are so willing to embrace like science fiction or horror or other you know like for how long was the cw the vampire network and now they're the superhero network and and yet there isn't necessarily the same willingness for people to embrace romance or like a show that calls itself a romance despite the fact that those tropes are like all through soap operas and therefore by extension through a lot of dramatic storytelling on tele uh, you know just on tv um i just think that's really that's really interesting and, and it's probably just tied back to that same idea of of um culture in general underrepresenting and underrespecting things that are coded towards a female audience specifically a young female audience but in general a female audience um which is a conversation for another time but i just it really struck me watching this like why aren't there more romances on tv that aren't like other than the soap opera like the daily soap opera thing but like or maybe do i just need to think of like the nighttime soaps as romances well, and I, I, I think that was the, that was sort of the point I was going to sort of drift to was that a lot of like the primetime serial soaps um, or primetime melodramas the, that we have sort of operate in that vein, but we're given them a degree of 
uh, prestige of uh, of acceptance because of when they air, um, because of the people involved in them to certain degrees, and how th- our reception of those things works. Of when we think about, say, something like Grey's Anatomy, where we go, well, it airs on A, A, B, C at 8 o'clock at night, which means people are home, they're back from work, they're back from being productive in a non-domestic space, that this is something that is more respectable than a soap opera that airs after The Price is Right at 11 a.m. when people should be quote-unquote at work as opposed to doing domestic labor and that sort of denigrates the the genre in a number of ways and then we we do the same thing with even in the degree of literature that um outlander is clearly operating uh from from a certain perspective in which those types of romance novels aren't in the literature section they're not in the fiction section they have their own dedicated spot within a category of genre of novels that are can often in sort of like store organization catalogs sometimes paired very closely to other genres that are considered lower so science fiction mystery or horror, um, at least like in my experience, they're typically all fairly close to one another because these are genres that historically have been denigrated in some way, shape, or form by our hierarchy, by our taste hierarchies. And I think a lot of that just plays into how we receive those things. Um, but for television itself, um, I think romance is just generally sort of struggled because you need something else to sell it on television. So even if it's um, the the drama of a hospital and some guy with a bomb in his chest or um, law, for, law from shenanigans or something along those lines to provide a episodic spine to it, but then you still get stuff like in the 90s in particular, like I think about Meller's Place or, um, well, Meller's Place immediately came to mind and I can't think of another one now that I'm on a, on a run. Um <laughs> But those sort of things where romance and relationships are the primary drivers um, are just ex- a little rarer now than they once were. And even something like Outlander um, needs that sort of, to your point, like a genre element to it of the time travel um, to sort of make it pal- palatable to other folks, even if it is generally not necessary. Because, again, even if I have only watched that little amount that I have, it's still a well-produced show. It's still a well-acted show, generally. Um, The writing's pretty solid. Our jokes about some of the dialogue aside. And your point about, like, the set of the the print shop is gorgeous and so layered in a lot of ways. And that it's clear that a lot of care has been put into this and that they don't, they see the, the genre time travel element as a means to an end, as opposed to just an end. And I think that's, I think that's where a lot of the respect for the show and its topic comes from is that the time travel is just a a little part that gets you, it's the thing that gets you to the thing to go back to Halt and Catch Fire from last week. (laughs) And I think that's I think that's that shows a degree of respect and appreciation from both the source material's perspective, but also from the show's material, the show's approach to that source material. Now you have me thinking about other shows on TV right now, and which ones 
are romances and which ones are dramas. So, like, Jane, that's easily a romance. But, and, and obviously there's Dynasty starting up, coming back, I should say, uh, rebooted. Um, but then, like, Scandal. Is that a romance? Or is that a drama? I mean, it I mean probably, obviously it's both. But... It's both. But, I mean, and it's also one of those things where the impulses of the modern television landscape sort of probably got the best of it with the deep mythology of, um, whatchamacallit, of, like, Eli's stuff and mm -hmm. um, the kind of conspiracy angle of of uh whatever that organization is and um that it makes it sort of difficult to parse which isn't to say like there isn't a deep mythology to soap operas because there is i mean one of the jokes about soap operas is that you can come back after a year of not watching it and be fine but if you miss one episode in that week you're totally lost um because the of how the narrative flow of the structure the narrative structure of the show rewards both dipping out for long stretches but coming back whereas primetime serialized television doesn't really allow you to miss a week because then melly's like president or something and grant is off fitz is off doing who knows what maybe he's finally making jam in vermont and <laughs> that if you came back to scandal you might not necessarily recognize it as scandal after a season away but if you came back to, like, The Young and the Restless after a year away, you might still be able to recognize and get caught up very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's... I'm gonna... I'm gonna keep pondering this over the next few weeks in our, in our viewing, in which, which shows are borrowing from the romance tradition, in which shows are just not marketing themselves as a romance because of stigmas. But And you know, most... Most shows aren't going to market themselves as romance because of a stigma. So, I yeah. mean, like, even the promos for Dynasty sort of play up more so the the backstabbing and the throat cutting and the uh, large-scale sort of investigations into things as opposed to this is a story about romance and these warring, this war, the civil war and romantic war within families. Yeah. Well, we should cycle back here quickly to the episode itself, the episode in question. Um, so let's let's do a, a few. Uh, how about favorite moments or elements that we haven't mentioned yet? Do you have any that come to mind? Um, one thing that actually came to mind, and maybe you can answer this question because I actually meant to rewatch um the first like thirty minutes or so of the episode before we recorded, and I just ran out of time. Was is there a lot of music in this episode before Claire shows up? Does Claire like bring music with her back into this world? Um, oh, I... there's so much fiddle. You, you okay. oh, I was like one of my big notes is Jamie's yeah. walking, um, walking along down the street, and this awesome fiddle kicks in. not noticed that anything like that this season and i've been really disappointed i gotta say with this with the scoring 
this season. There's been some interesting song choices um, for like the 60s. So like we're in Claire's present, but not a lot of at least as far I I have not noticed any memorable music in the scoring for this first half of the season. So it's almost like the show's anticipating her return. Like she's already back. She just hasn't gotten to that town yet because she came through with the rocks and then she's got to get there. Yeah. So it's almost like she brought back music into the show because they're in the same they're in the same time period. And so the music is back. And the right. adventure is back, and everything that that means is back. It just, he doesn't know it yet. But right. we do, and the episode does. And so that's part of why, like, there was an energy and a vitality. I was actually curious if you felt like it was overscored, because I loved it, but I, of course, I'm going to eat up a bunch of fiddle, you know, like with a spoon. I'm, that's direct, that's, that's Wheelhouse Kate. So, like, was it too much for you? Well, no, it wasn't too much to me. The reason why I like thought to ask was the fact that I had the closed captioning on from something else while I was watching this. And even the closed captioning made sure that I knew when things crescendoed, um, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really interesting because sometimes music cues appear with closed captioning, but sometimes they don't. And I found it, again, going back to our discussion about romance and the tropes of romance and that the fact that the closed captioning made a point to let me know that something ostensibly that someone with the closed captioning on wouldn't necessarily hear that they were trying to convey that um i thought was really interesting on like a paratextual level and that those notes from the closed captioning became much more prominent as claire ent- re-entered the narrative and that was why i thought to ask you about it and mention it because it, the music came with her at least from a closed captioning level much more prominently when she came back and well entered the ink shop anyway and i, I was just really fascinated by that and i don't think that the music was too much at all um mainly because again this goes back to traditions of melodrama and romance um in which melodrama literally like is associated with music in a lot of ways to cue us into things and what we're supposed to be feeling and how to navigate what those feelings are so i did not mind it at all um in any way shape or form okay i'm glad to hear that and of course melodrama the like what melodrama literally began as what it is is spoken word like a play that has music with it that has basically it's scoring (laughs) so like it's every episode of tv ever that has scoring is a melodrama um just when that form started of, of like it's so not a musical or an opera or an operetta not a straight play but like a like a a performance that also had like interstitial music to like help heighten everything and tell you like convey emotions and stuff to the audience and just you know sound cool so like every impassioned speech you've ever seen somebody give on tv and the music stirs beneath them that's melodrama regardless of what they're talking about and regardless if it's supposed to be funny or serious um so yeah it, it music is is key is essential to to melodrama and what it means to to fully embrace that 
genre and that's like the extent of my knowledge of <laughs> melodrama oh, i don't I know could, anything else about it but that's I could, yeah, you know that much <laughs> i could go on but i don't want to that's a, like to your point of earlier that's a whole other discussion for us to have yeah. um yeah. i took like a whole like three weeks in melodrama in my early american film history class so i could nice. go on but i'm not nice. <laughs> okay um i will throw out i super enjoyed jordy just like the dweeb <laughs> <laughs> he's like he forgot to do the work he's like can you just tell me the errands you want me to run like the night before because i don't want to have to walk <laughs> and he comes back later and you know jamie has his pants off he's like y'all are having an orgy what's going on i i, I enjoyed that he was like this like clear like stick in the mud maybe like dwight Schrute type person in their lives they deal with it because he lives nearby so like like jamie says he lives across the street so it's really convenient um so i i enjoyed jordy uh i also thought that it was touching in with with fergus and and ian um but especially with fergus was a nice little beat i love you know there are only going to be so many opportunities to have our cast interact with previous characters because there's only so many they even know about claire so like running into people that they've met previously uh can only happen so often so i thought that that was really effective and it was a good way to um to be like we've recast you know because adorable little fergus who's super cute um you know back in season two uh obviously had to be had to be recast it's 20 years later he's no longer like 10 um so that was a smart way to do it. And uh, I feel like the other thing we should talk about is Willoughby and how you felt about the introduction of that character. Um, and, and yeah, the idea of, of this Chinese man who has found himself in Scotland. And uh, do you, how did you feel about that introduction of, of him? That was a little weird. Um, like the whole elbow lick, elbow or knee licking, joint licking, um, uh-huh. thing was just bizarre way to introduce us to um this character. And Do you want to know why they did that? I would like to know why they did that, please. Because in the books, it's a foot fetish. Uh huh. That he has, and he was like trying to lick her feet, and so they they were like, "That's not, no, we're not going to say the only Chinese character on the show or a person of East Asian descent at all, or any kind of Asian descent has a foot fetish." So we're going to give him an that. elbow fetish instead. We're going to give him an elbow fetish instead. It'll keep the idea of like you know the, the same over, concept. Overly sexualized East Asian man. Great. But at least he doesn't have. At least he's not a Chinese guy with a foot fetish. I I don't really. I, I I'm I'm amused that their dividing line is the foot, as opposed to played up for laughs the element of it being an elbow. Like I don't think either option is particularly great. <laughs> you don't think there's a difference between foot fetish and foot binding in in Chinese culture, or like the associations of that in Western people's minds, and an elbow. No, I think that there is a difference, but I think that the fact that we're still, like, going to just go ahead and introduce this character as a sexualized person feeds into other things. And that's, like, their thing of, like, well, we don't want him to be too sexualized, so elbow? And it just, it's, 
it it feels like a re- arbitrary line to draw in that we still want this sexualized Asian character, but maybe not that sexualized. And I was just like, oh, just don't have him be sexualized. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I see what you're, I see what you're saying. Uh, for me, it's a big difference because I don't feel like there are stereotypes about Asian men being into elbows the way that there are about Asian men being into feet but i do see what you're saying as far as like okay but why don't you not have him have a fetish like why don't you just introduce him as like he's like it's causing a problem because he's drunk or it's causing i mean like then you get into the drunk asian stuff too which is not good either like they want to introduce him as as being having uh, causing a problem but then what problem can you do like i don't i don't disagree that they could have come up with something else Right. I mean, there's just a long history of, like, representations of Asian men, um, in particular within Western narratives, as being sort of people with a fair amount of sexual predatory nature. Mm -hmm. And so the degree that we're going to play this for laughs uh, now-ish, as opposed to doing it for something a little, to your point, more culturally baggaged, that it's still culturally baggaged. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Um, I did like the scene with him and Claire, though. I thought yes, that was really yeah. lovely. And I also really liked the scene with Claire and the sex workers. Um, and I, the, like, when the madam came down and was very upset, um, I'm sure we'll get more on that dynamic and, you know, like, figure out more where she's coming from and that tension there. But the I did really like. Very upset. Let's just, let's just, she's yeah. very upset. <laughs> yeah. She's been like, you have a wife? Not cool, dude. At least you could have put a ring on. <laughs> yeah, no, that's pretty much where she was coming from. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I, I, there's a few things I know from about like reading synopses of the various books that I'm assuming they're going to get into, which colors that conversation. But um, based on what we saw in this episode, uh, yeah, that I thought that the, <laughs> that, that character was interesting and, and seeing what comes next will... I think there. I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, the uh, the last thing I have is that they. I, I was I enjoyed this episode quite a bit. I had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was really beautifully shot overall, and there was uh, so many really lovely little moments and the dynamic with Claire and Jamie for the most part really paid off. The five or six episodes that we spent with them apart, and then how do they end the episode? Noel, they end the episode with another rape threat. Are they trying to get me to stop watching? Like, is that, is it like, get Kate to stop watching the show? Is it like, is that like a sub, like, list of, like, low on the priority list? But is that on their list somewhere? Yeah, no, they, I've actually seen Ronald Moore's, like, vision board for the show. And Uh on it is get Kate Kolzak to stop watching. Yeah. And it, it's on there. It's not like a super high priority, but it is uh-huh. on there. It's like a it's like a medium-sized index card. It's not one of the small ones, but it's also not one of the big ones. Okay. Yeah. 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 Did you have any thoughts on that? I mean, based on everything that you've told me, it just seems par for the course for the show at this point. Um, and so I just sort of... I, I don't have as much build-up with that with the show as you do, obviously. So I just sort of went, oh, we're just really trying to emphasize how much ladies are in peril and yay sort of thing. But like, it just felt like super run of the mill for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just such a a wonderfully sex positive episode. 
to end it with that was like you can't why don't just have her be and like and yes she's in a brothel and this guy's assuming she's a whore uh or well, that doesn't uh, pros- matter pros- or sex yeah. worker but, but but just like he's making certain assumptions about her because of where she is and um he obviously doesn't doesn't have any respect for women and he's happy to to rape and brutalize her um but like can't can't she just run to like the one guy who just wants to kidnap her i'm just saying (laughs) everyone wants to kidnap her at some point or another yeah anyways we'll see what happens next are you gonna keep watching are you good um, like, I feel like I can't watch anymore without having to watch the other episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's, point. that's too much back catalog. There's, a, there's probably a little too much backstory that I would need, um, to get through it. But I appreciate, I appreciate that we had this discussion. Yes, thank you very much, Noel. Always appreciate a, uh, when you, when you're willing to, like, just dive in with one of these shows that I'm watching. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode up at theteleverse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can find us in Stitcher or in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And we're also on Facebook. Like the page, start of a conversation there, or you can email us at televerse at gmail.com. And we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And thank you again, Noel, as ever. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 